Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Hey, good morning. Thank you. It's good to have you back again. And uh, yeah, here we go. If you haven't been with us for a while, we have just concluded last weekend with an eight-month sermon series entitled The Story. Beginning in January, we started in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we've been involved in an overview of the Bible from one end to the other. And last weekend, I taught on the book of Revelation. And so if you weren't here and you're thinking, oh man, I missed the ending. How does the story end? I've got good news for you. This is a full service church. That sermon is on our website. Plus, not only this is an extra added bonus, you can actually get my sermon notes and read those right along with it. So it's all there just for you. It may be important for you to go and check that out because... um, In that message last weekend, what I did is I shared the one event that will initiate the last seven years of world history. I also shared the eight signs that you can be looking for for the return of Christ that will precede his return. I also talked about the millennium, how the world will end, the great white throne judgment and eternity and the eternal state of mankind. So if any of that interests you, it's all there. It's really there. So that means, what's next? Well, this weekend we are starting part two of the story. We know how God's story begins, we know how it ends, but we're still living in the middle. And part of that story is being written through our lives. But before I get to that, um, what always happens whenever I teach on the end times or the book of Revelation, I always have people send me emails, notes, things, uh, people talk to me afterwards and they say, well, Pastor Al, okay, I believe the scriptures, I see it now, I see it in the news. Here's the question, so what should I do to be prepared for the days ahead? That's always the obvious question, what do I need to do to be prepared? And oftentimes, along with that question, they are really wanting to know my thoughts on the three B's, the three B's. And they would be bread, bullets, and bunkers. (laughs) You see, so many folks, Christians and non-Christians alike, are fearful of what's happening. I mean, you can hardly watch the news and not, you know, be alarmed at what's happening in the world and the economy and, you know, politics and wars and all kinds of things happening. And so, Uh, People are wanting to know, should we start storing up lots of food in order to have enough to last us six months to a year? Should I start buying guns and ammunition to protect myself from desperate people? Uh, Did you know that uh, underground bunkers is the new growth industry? That actually people, for hundreds of thousands of dollars, they'll dig you a hole, bury this big steel container under there, and it will protect you apparently from nuclear, biological, or chemical attacks and any desperate people that want your stuff. And so there are a lot of folks being driven by fear. They see what's coming. They know it's a time of anarchy, global economic collapse. These things aren't maybes. They're for sure. The Bible tells us this is coming. And so when people ask me, well, Pastor Al, what do you think about these three things? I know what they're wanting. What they're really wanting me to do is give some kind of pastoral blessing for bullets or something else, you know. And I'm sorry to disappoint them. I usually say, you know, I'm sorry, I can't tell you what to do there. Uh, I can't, um, 
I can't, uh, you know, basically say, yeah, go for it. Because um, last time I checked, I haven't been promoted to the office of Holy Spirit, so I can't really tell you what God's plan is for you. So I'm, I, you're out of luck there. Um, and, and then, too, you have, to, you have to be honest with the Bible and church history and realize that there have been people throughout history who, uh, when they face times of real serious crisis, times of great persecution, times uh, when Christians were uh, being put to death for their faith, that, that some folks uh, didn't get delivered. We look in the book of Acts and see that Stephen was stoned, James was killed with the sword. Peter was thrown in prison, not once but three times. The last time it ended up with him being crucified as a follower of Jesus. You look at others in the book of Acts and you see that they were protected by God. Um, they were scattered, left Jerusalem and everywhere they went, they went preaching the gospel. There were others who went underground, they went into hiding, they had churches in their homes and God provided for them as he did miraculously for the children of Israel in the wilderness. Imagine that, raining bread every day out of heaven. They had to live by faith day by day. They couldn't store it up. You know, they tried. <laughs> Children of Israel tried. Uh, you know, we're not sure about tomorrow. So let's just gather all the manna that we can, put it in containers, and then we'll have enough for tomorrow. Do you know what happened to the manna when they kept it overnight? It bred worms and stank. That's a good King James word, I guess. But that's what it did. And God says, no, you've got to trust me one day at a time. I'll provide for you one day at a time. And so that was a lesson in faith. You have to live by faith in me, not in your own strength and resources. So when folks ask me about the three B's, really what the, the motivation oftentimes for that is it's based out of fear rather than faith. And that'll be one of the greatest challenges in the last days because in Revelation 3.10, Jesus speaking to one of the churches said, because you've kept my command to persevere, I, will, I also will keep, literally protect and deliver you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So I want you to notice in this passage that Jesus is literally saying there is coming an hour, a time of extreme testing, a time of trial that will encompass the entire world. Jesus said in Matthew 25, it will be, or chapter 24, that it will be a time that is more severe and extreme than any in the history of mankind. Some will lose their lives, some will be in prison. Some will be protected. But tonight, or this morning, actually, what I want to do is give you five things you can do to be prepared for the days ahead. Five things we can all do that will prepare us for the days ahead. And so before we look at this scripture, let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us to hear from him in his word. Jesus, we thank you for our time of worship and pray, Lord, now that we open your word, that your spirit would speak to us individually, that you would help us to be ready for your soon return, to discern the signs of the times in which we're living, and Lord, that our response would be one of faith and not fear. So God, we pray for your presence now in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus uh, speaks of the days to come, and he tried to describe for us in this teaching, this parable, 
one of the ways that we can be prepared for the days ahead. So he said, therefore, whoever uh, hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Let's break this uh, down a little bit. What the Lord Jesus is teaching us in this parable is that all of our lives can be compared to a house. The Bible makes it very clear that you, as a Christian, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which is God's. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that the Old Testament tabernacle and temple was a dwelling place in the Old Testament for the children of Israel. He dwelt in those, those places. His manifest presence was there. So God no longer dwells in temples built with hands. He dwells in you. You're like a house. And every house, if you think about it, must have a foundation. Builders know this. The most important part of the building phase is to make sure this foundation is solid and square. And in the parable, Jesus said there were two people who decided to build their lives, build their house, and they chose two different foundations. One was a rock, something very solid, something very secure. And the other fellow decided to build his house on sand, so they laid the foundation, they built the structure, the roof, all the rooms. And if you were a, an observer, you looked at the two houses, you would think, oh, those are nice houses. Those are solid structures. They look solid. They have all the appearance of being a solid home. But you really do not understand the house and how strong it is until it's tested. And so the Lord says there's coming a time when storms will beat against both houses. He said there's coming rain and flood and winds. And these things are going to be torrential. And they're going to exert their influence against each house. The house that is founded upon a rock will stand. But as we know, a house built on sand... The floods are going to undercut that foundation and eventually it'll collapse under its own weight. And Jesus said, great will be the fall of that house. Particularly in the last days because there will not be time to rebuild. So it's not a matter of if the storms will batter the, our lives, our house. The real issue is, will your house stand? And on what foundation is it built? Paul mentions the same idea in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11. He said, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
there is no other foundation that will survive, is what he's saying. The Bible compares Jesus, he's actually called this many times in the Old Testament. He is the rock. He is that only thing that is solid enough to support us in a time of storm. And storms are coming. Some of us here have already been through many storms. Storms like loss of jobs, loss of finances, loss of health, loss of family and friends. A lot of things have battered our lives and our world and our economy. What are some people building their lives on today? Did you know that there are folks that are building their lives and this is their foundation? They're trusting in the government to save and protect them from harm? How do you like that foundation? Anybody want to sign up for that? Some people built their lives on a foundation of success in business in their bank accounts. People in uh, 1929, there are a lot of folks that did that. They built their whole lives, their house on their investments and their wealth that they had accumulated. And yet in a blink of an eye, the stock market crashed and they lost everything. Their house crashed. And they had no hope. They didn't know what to do. Some are hoping Social Security and Medicare will take care of them in their older age years and it'll be there somehow to help us survive. Some are trusting in our global economy. Actually, you know, we're thinking it's such a big economy. There's so many people involved. There's so many nations that have a vested interest in the success of our economy. It will never sink. It can never collapse. Well, the passengers on the Titanic thought the same thing when they got on board. It was advertised as unsinkable. But the Bible says very clearly, the economy one day is going to sink. And if your foundation, your life is built upon anything of this world, it won't stand. So that raises the question, what do we do when everything is stripped away that we trust in? All of the things that unconsciously or consciously we're relying upon to support us in the future. What Jesus is telling us, there's only one, one foundation that's capable of supporting us in the future that's about to happen. And that's building our life on Him. So, number one, here we go. I'm giving you a... Um, Oh, a kind of survival manual? I'll call it that this morning. A survival manual to be prepared for the days ahead. Number one, build your life on the right foundation. That is absolutely non-negotiable. Essential. Acts 4, 11 through 12. When Peter was arrested and brought before the religious leaders of his day, he spoke to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and he said, Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is only one Savior. There is only one Deliverer, and his name is Jesus. Number two, to be prepared for the future, pass the tests you face each day. Pass the tests you face each day. Why is that important? Um, 
when people start hearing me talk about the end times, the, the book of Revelation and such, they, I've had people actually come up and tell me this in the past. They say, well, you know, we've always had wars, we've had famines and, you know, all the stuff that you're talking about and, you know, when I see all of those things happening, I'll get right with God. I'll repent and I'll, I'll get on the right track when I see all those things coming. And until then, I'm just going to do it my way. Well, my question to them is this. If you haven't developed a pattern of faithfulness and obedience to the Lord, when times are relatively easy and temptations aren't that strong, what makes you think you won't deny the Lord and give in to the temptation to take this mark and worship the Antichrist when your life is literally on the line? Bible says very clearly that there's an individual who come to save the world. He's called the Antichrist, and he is going to come as the world's Messiah. Says, I have a plan to save mankind, to restore the economy. The deal is you have to have a mark on your right hand or your forehead in order to buy or sell, and you have to bow down and worship me. If you don't, you're put to death. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. It's, it's a fact of what will happen. And so my question to folks like this is saying, listen, if, if you haven't established a pattern of faithfulness and obedience to God in times when it's easy, when your life is literally on the line, you're, you're seriously telling me that you'll be able to pass that test? You see, Peter and the apostles or the other disciples, they had that same kind of confidence. Listen, they had been with Jesus for over three years They'd watched him raise the dead, open blind eyes, cause the deaf to hear, cast out demons, walk on water, multiply loaves and fishes. And just hours before he was crucified, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's saying, fellas, I just need you to know that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'll be betrayed and I'll die on a cross. And, and the disciple says, Lord, Lord, you know what? All right, we're going with you, but we will never deny you. Peter said, I, I'm willing to die for you, Jesus, and go to prison for you. And he looked at Peter and said, Peter, before this night is over, before the rooster crows, you'll deny that you know me three times. They all protested and said, no, no, no. The guards came to the Garden of Gethsemane. They arrested Jesus. What was the first thing they all did? They all ran for their lives. Peter and John followed from a distance watched what was going on in the trial. Peter's by the campfire. A young servant girl walks up and says, are you one of his disciples? Oh, no, don't know the man. I don't uh, know. You're mistaken. Three times. Why did Peter deny the Lord? Even though hours earlier he said he would never do such a thing because he was afraid. He was afraid for his life. And in the moment of testing, he collapsed. Thankfully, 50 days later, Peter got filled with the Holy Spirit. And we now see a man who learned from his failure and stood and was faithful to the end. So, how do we get ready for the last days when the ultimate test of our faith will be presented to us? We pass the test by passing the smaller tests day by day that lead up to that moment. 
we establish a habit and a pattern so that when that test comes, it's just one more. It's one more test that, oh, we, we're familiar with how you overcome that. We know how to resist. We know how to rely upon the strength of the Holy Spirit in that hour. Even if it means suffering, even if it means hardship. You know, I'm afraid that a lot of times when we preach the gospel and we talk about things in the Bible, we can be a bit selective in what we choose to read. We love it when we hear messages about how much God loves us, His amazing grace, that our sins can be forgiven when we simply ask, that the gift of eternal life is ours simply by believing on the Lord Jesus. We love that part. And it's all true. But let me read to you a couple other parts. Philippians 1.29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Ah, I didn't know that was part of the deal. Yeah, I'm sorry to break this to you, but Jesus said, You are not of this world. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you're not of the world, the world will hate you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Really? Ah, I want to be liked by everybody. Sorry. The day is coming when Christians won't be liked by anybody. Peter said the same thing. First Peter chapter 4, 7, verse 7, 12 and 14, verse 19. Peter put it this way. In the first century, he's saying, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning, here it is, the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Partaking of Christ's sufferings, I'm supposed to be rejoicing? Yep, because God's paying you a compliment. If you're suffering, he's saying, your faith is strong enough to stand. And so you're going to be tested and tried. I'll tell you in a moment why God does this. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Let me use a, a, a metaphor or analogy from sports. God, in a sense, is like the perfect coach. And he knows the big game is coming. So what is a coach who wants his team to do well when the big game is coming and the team will take the field? What is a good coach going to do for his players? He's going to do whatever it takes to get them in shape. He's, making, he's going to make sure that they're prepared physically, mentally, skill-wise, everything. So when the game happens, they have all the resources and tools they need to win. This might help you understand a little bit of what may be going on in your life or has happened over the last several years. Is anyone beside me feeling like the heat is getting turned up in the world? Things are getting a little more intense, a little more unstable economically, politically, militarily. It just feels like it's getting more intense all the time. The big game is coming. And so what often God will do is he will allow us to experience tests, trials, difficulties. Maybe you lost your job. Oh, 
See, God was trying to help you to learn to trust, and ha- trust in him and have faith rather than be given to fear when you have no source of income. That'll be where it is in the last days. Maybe you had an illness, uh, some kind of health issue, and you were wondering, how am I going to pay the medical bills and will I get well? Listen, every test you face, face is always about developing faith and pushing the roots of our faith deeper. It's always about that. Believing in the goodness of God, the provision of God, the character of God. Maybe you've gone through a painful relationship. Someone betrayed you, someone left you and abandoned you, a spouse, family member. Felt like your world was coming apart. Well, listen, the last days, the Bible says very clearly that parents will deny children, children will turn in parents. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. You see, a lot of the things that we're experiencing in our lives right now, God is getting his church in shape. He's developing our spiritual stamina. He's forcing the roots of our faith to go deeper so that when the wind blows, the storms and the floods rise, we've already made sure that our house is built on a foundation that can stand. This is why James could dare to write in James chapter 1, my brothers count it pure joy. <laughs> the Phillips translation. Count it pure joy when you fall into trials, various trials. Knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, mature, lacking nothing. A loving God is allowing his children to experience difficulties. He's getting us ready. He's being faithful. No trial seems pleasant. No discipline is easy. But God disciplines those he loves. Well, Pastor Al, I I haven't done so well on tests. God's given me some tests and you know, I've flunked a few. Hey, I've got great news to you. Do you know that God gives up makeup? He gives makeup exams? Yeah, if you missed it the first lap around the mountain, he'll let you go another time. Anybody have that happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good thing about God. You know why? Because you're, if you belong to the kingdom of God, you're a child of God, you're a member of his household, God doesn't kick his kids out. If you messed up, you just say, hey, let's learn from that and try, try it again. Let's just try that again. Romans 8 chapter 1 says what? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you messed up, just ask God to forgive you and say, can you help me the next time to do better? You bet. That's that's what he wants to do is help you build your house on that foundation and have it stand. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm getting like a coach and I'm trying to rally the troops. Okay, sorry. All right, so number one, build your house on the right foundation. Number two, pass the tests you face each day. Number three, learn to hear and obey God's voice. Jesus put it this way, John 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I've had people over the years come to me and say, Pastor Al, you know, I'm a Christian, but 
I just don't think I hear God's voice. I don't hear him speak to me. I ask, are you a Christian? Yeah. That means you're a sheep. Yeah. That means the shepherd does talk to you. The shepherd does speak to you. But oftentimes, we're not able to recognize that it's God's voice that I'm hearing. Samuel, when he was a little boy, God started speaking to him as a prophet, and, and he would start answering the voice that he heard and thought it was Eli, the high priest, that was calling him. And so he kept going to Eli saying, you called me. He said, no, I didn't. No. So he went back three times, and finally Eli said to him, listen, if you hear that again, just say this. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God speaks to you all the time. But have you learned to recognize that it's his voice? Let me give you some examples. You may be just going about your business, then all of a sudden a thought out of the blue comes and you remember something, you're thinking about somebody that you know. And for no rhyme or reason, you're just thinking about that person. God just gives you their picture, their face in your mind. Hmm, that might be God's instruction to you that they're in trouble and you better pray for them right then and there. Or, You may just think of a friend or family member and, and you just hear this thought comes into your mind. You know, you better give them a call. That's, that's often the Holy Spirit that's telling you that. You're going to a store and you're looking at things to buy and you're thinking, oh, that, that shirt looks nice and you're about ready to take it to the checkout counter but you feel a check and it's for no rhyme or reason, you can't figure out why you don't feel comfortable with that. And then you're saying, well, should I take it back and should I go buy it? I like it, but no, I don't feel at peace about it. Take it back. God is a good shepherd and he speaks to his sheep. But oftentimes, we just don't recognize that it's his voice. So how can we get better at that? couple of things. First of all, God's voice is the same voice that you hear when you read his word. I use this analogy. I said, I said to the previous uh, services, I, I, I use this a lot in my teaching. I said, look, if you got a letter from a family member or a friend or an email and you started reading that letter have you ever noticed that when you read that letter, you hear that person's voice and you see their face in your mind? It's as though they're speaking to you right through that written text. Why is it that you perceive them that way? Because you have a relationship with them. If you're a Christian, you have a relationship with the Father. You have a relationship with the Good Shepherd. He is speaking to you, and the more time you spend here in His Word and, and you, in time with, in prayer, you're going to recognize, oh, that's the Shepherd's voice again. Why is this important to hear His voice? Because I am convinced that in the last days, it will be so critical for us not only to hear, but then obey what the Holy Spirit says to us. For some people, it's going to be a matter of life and death. So when the Holy Spirit says, go left instead of go right, you better go left. When He says, you better go here and do this and, and meet with that person, you better go do it. 
The Holy Spirit may just put the brakes on and say no. And usually the Holy Spirit says no once. He doesn't beg or plead. It's just no. And right then you need to be sensitive and respect that. Listen, even if you don't understand it. God doesn't necessarily satisfy our intellect. He brought the children of Israel right to the Red Sea and say, here we go, we're in just the right spot. What do you mean? There's an ocean in front of us. How are we supposed to get across there? What's the problem? Stretch out your rod, Moses. Let's part the waters. I never saw that coming exactly. God knows and we don't. That's the walk of faith. And in these last days, we're going to have to learn how to walk by faith, not by sight. Now, hearing is one thing. Obedience is something else, isn't it? You see, God can tell us something. He can speak to us. But then we're faced with the next step in that process is, will I trust and obey? Let's see. Isn't there a hymn by that? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So simple. Will we obey? Jesus said it this way, John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now let's not misinterpret what he's saying. We're all sons and daughters, children of God if we know Jesus. We're part of the household, part of the family. What is friendship? Friendship is a relationship based on mutual trust in which if you call a friend, you know they're going to do what you need. At a moment's notice, you don't have to argue or convince. Listen, Jesus is saying, you're my friends. If I can call upon you to do something, there's no argument or debate. You just do what I say because you trust me. So in these last days, folks, it's going to be critical for us to prepare. And we prepare by learning to listen and trust what we hear and then act. So practice it when you go shopping. When you go grocery shopping, I always tell the ladies this. When you go grocery shopping, go grocery shopping with the Holy Ghost. Walk down the aisles and say, well, should I get this or should I get that? Have fun with God. Go shopping. (laughs) Oh, did I just say you can go shopping? (laughs) But listen, you can do that. You can have this this thing where you begin to learn and trust. and, And it gets exciting walking through a day with Jesus. It's just amazing. Fourth item in our survival manual, learn to live by faith. Learn to live by faith. Jesus put it this way in Luke 21, 25 through 26. He said, in the last days there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear. And the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. God is literally going to shake every house on this planet to its very foundation. And when that happens, the Lord is saying that when people are living in the midst of this global upheaval, they will literally die of heart attacks. And not just from what's actually happening, but actually the anticipation of what will happen based on the daily news reports. They're just going to be overcome with fear. Why? Because their house was built on sand. 
Their lives were built on the things of this world which cannot stand. Unless your house is built on the rock. Jesus asked questions throughout the Gospels. You see him doing this. And whenever Jesus asks questions, they're always a bit disturbing to me. Because, think about it. Here you have God in human flesh. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So why would God ever ask a question? He already knows the answer to the question. So Jesus asked this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's a disturbing question. And he doesn't ask it for his benefit. He asks it for our benefit. Basically, he's saying, when I come, things will be so desperate the world and everything in it will be shaken to its foundation. And in that day, will he find anybody standing in faith? And the answer to the question is yes, he will. There will be those who are overcomers. Those who have stood under the face of testing and trial and persecution and suffering, famine, disease, and whatever else is going on in this world. He's coming for his church, and he will find men and women of faith in that hour. But it has caused me to ask the question, why, why wouldn't people be strong in the faith when Jesus returns? Let me give you three answers I've come up with. Number one, because people don't know, trust, or believe in God, or the promises he has given us in the Bible. Anybody remember that old hymn? Standing on the promises of Christ, my King. That's part of the rock foundation. The promises of God who does not lie. What are some of those? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. What are other promises? My grace is sufficient for you. Number two, people will be weak in the faith because the false idols of self-strength, earthly wealth, and possessions, or the governments and leaders they put their trust in have failed them. And because people will believe that they have nowhere else to turn, they will lose hope. Another reason I think faith will be a rare commodity is because people allowed fear for their survival to control their thinking and decisions instead of trusting in God. The last thing I think is essential for our, our preparation for the days to come is start sharing your faith in Jesus and the hope you have with others. Revelation uh, chapter 21 has a description of what heaven will be like. God begins and he says, Behold, I make a new heaven and a new earth. He says, There will be no more sorrow, no more pain. And then he says this, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I asked myself the question, why will there be tears in heaven? If you look at the passage, what just immediately preceded that was this great white throne judgment where the eternal fate of mankind was determined. And you saw people going with you into eternity with God. And then you saw all of the people departing from his presence forever. That'll be a moment of incredible grief and despair and loss 
But God says, I will wipe those tears away and the pain of that memory will not remain. So we have a window of opportunity. As long as we are breathing air, we have an opportunity on this earth to make a difference in eternity for somebody's life. And I think one of the greatest regrets we may have one day is that we didn't take better better opportunity. We didn't take those opportunities more seriously. We weren't praying for divine appointments. We weren't praying for family members who are wayward. We weren't praying for neighbors we know don't have Jesus. And we weren't seizing those divine appointments, those opportunities to just speak out and say, do you know that God has an answer for your life right now? He's got answers to the questions you're asking. Can I take a minute and share how God has changed my life? Listen, you all have a story to tell. Just tell people what God did for you. What did he do for you? Well, you became a Christian when you invited Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You became a Christian when you asked him, invited him to come into your life, to be your Savior and the Lord of your life. When you became a Christian, God gave you the gift of eternal life. The moment you became a Christian, you had meaning and purpose in life. He changed your life. He gave you hope. He saved you, he forgave you, and then he justified you. What does that mean? The word justified, it's an important word. Actually, let me read this in Colossians 4, 6 first. It says, let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. See, we're encouraged to share our story. And not only were we saved and forgiven, justified means that God sees a Christian as righteous, holy, and not guilty of sin. And the reason he can see us this way is because when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty our sins deserve, which is death. That's what it means to tell your story. Isn't it good to know that when you breathe your last breath, you will be in God's presence? And he will say to you, Welcome home. I've been looking forward to seeing you. Well done, good and faithful servant. We have that hope. We have that as a promise. And how did this happen? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness in him. We might become the righteousness of God. How do I receive that gift? Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, none of us are good enough. We can't do enough good things. We can't work hard enough to make heaven our home. The only people that go to heaven are forgiven people. God gives us eternal life as a gift. How do I receive it? Ask. Admit to him the obvious. God, I've sinned against you and other people. Will you forgive me? And God's answer to you is, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why would God do this? Why would he go to such lengths to want us to be with him? The answer is a familiar passage. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Love. That was his motive. He wants you and me to be with him forever. 
That's why we have communion. The reason we share communion is we remember what it cost God to do this. We remember that his body was broken. It was nailed to a cross. His blood was shed to pay the price our sins deserve, which is death. And when we come to the table, you know what we're really doing? We're saying, thank you, God. Thank you for your incredible love and your grace and your mercy on me. And the Bible instructs us that when we come to this table, we need to examine ourselves and come to this table in a worthy manner. Not to despise God's gift, but to really examine ourselves and ask the question, Lord, am I building my life on the foundation of Jesus in a way that honors you? Before we come to the table, could I encourage you to do a couple of things? If the Holy Spirit convicts you of something in your life that you know isn't right, just ask God to forgive you for that. Confess that to him. He's faithful and just to forgive us. Whenever we confess those faults to him, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Maybe in the message, the Holy Spirit has been faithful to bring someone to mind who sinned against you and you're bitter and angry toward them. The Bible makes it clear. If you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that someone has something against you, what you do is you leave your gift. If you sin against them, you go and say, Lord, the first chance I get, I'm going to ask that brother to forgive me, that sister to forgive me for the way I sinned against them. If they sin against you, just say, Lord, I choose right here, right now to forgive them for what they did because you've forgiven me so much. I freely forgive them. So when we come to this table, we share in these elements not as some kind of ritual, but as a time of meeting with God having communion with him. It's a time when we bring our gifts and our offerings. We put those there, prayer requests, praise reports. We're going to do that in just a moment. But before I close, let me just say, it's important that we're all prepared for the days ahead and God's working to be faithful with us to help us get ready. So make sure your house is on the right foundation. Pass the tests with God's help each day. Learn to hear and listen and obey his voice when he speaks. Learn to live by faith. Step out in faith. Do things that the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do, to give to someone in need. Trust him with your, your finances. Start sharing your faith while we still have the chance to do that. See, time is running short, folks. And although we know how the story ends, the book of Acts is still being written through your lives. And that's why we've entitled part two of this sermon series, Christ in You, the rest of the story. If you don't know Jesus yet, if you're not a Christian here today, you came into this sanctuary and you heard this message, listen, you can leave here today a Christian. It simply means being honest with God Admitting to him what you know is true, that you've sinned against him and other people and just simply saying, God, would you forgive me? Jesus, please come into my heart and save me. I guarantee you that God will answer your prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you love us and that you are working in each of our lives to know you better, to live for you, to be prepared for the days ahead. And God, I pray that as we have heard this word today, 
We'd take inventory. That, Lord, we would think about the things that have happened in our lives in recent days and that we could see that you've been faithful to us, that you've been helping us and trying to get us to have the spiritual stamina and faith and strength to stand and having done all to stand. Lord, I just pray as we come to this table that we would have an encounter with you, we would meet with you, that we would all have grateful hearts for what you've done for us. So we give you thanks for your indescribable gift of life and forgiveness and for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. 